Hello and welcome to Connected, episode 226. It is made possible this week by PDF Pen from Smile, Away, and Squarespace. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by Mr. Federico Vitici. Oh, hello. Hi. How are you? Hello. You're first this week. and uh, that, that's uh, caught me like by surprise. Like every week. It's always first. <laughs> and we have Mike, who's here, too. Hello. Hey, buddy. We have a fun episode uh, for everyone this week. We're going to be joined in a little while by Tyler Stallman. Tyler's an incredible creator, and he's going to teach us how to edit photographs on iOS devices. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I wish him the best of luck. (laughs) First, Tyler is stuck in the green room waiting because we have to talk about follow-up. And I'm just going to go ahead and call it. I think 2019 could be the year of Steven. That's a bit of an exaggeration for one rumor, or to call it the year of Steven. But go ahead. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to kill your excitement. Uh, please explain why are you so optimistic? So, mm. so I had a why? I had a pick last week, and it is a non graded pick. So I mean, it's the year of non graded Steven, I guess. And my pick was that. Someone on the Apple executive web page would be gone in 2019. I don't know who. just feels like there could be a shakeup. And lo and behold, there is a rumor that Intel could be looking at an Apple executive. Everybody's favorite executive, Johnny Suruji, who is the senior vice president of hardware technologies at Apple, is currently being, according to Axios, uh, is at the top of the list for Intel's potential list of CEOs. But, like, you can be on a list. You can be <laughs> doesn't on a, that mean, doesn't mean he's going there. Yeah, like, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh, do you know what? Johnny Suruji is actually on the top of my list to be my next podcast co-host. So I mean, you know. I'm all for that. But mm-hmm. this would make su- such great sense for Intel. So think about where Intel is. Their CEO got uh, booted out because he had a relationship with an employee, which is... Not a great look. They are desperately behind, especially in mobile. And who's the leader of that? Apple. And who's the leader of that at Apple? Our friend here, Johnny. Like, this is, would be a brilliant, different, there's a lot of them. Another reason, right? There's too many. It's Johnny with a H. That's how you remember him. (laughs) Johnny with an H. He's also one N, which is hilarious to me. I've never seen Johnny with a H and one N before. Maybe it's John Y. Because it's John... (laughs) John Y. So John Y would be a great hire for Intel. Like this makes a ton of sense. Now I don't know if they could lure him away from Apple, but if they could, it'd be a huge win for Intel. It would also be a huge do if they hired Tim Cook, right? Well, but he's not their chip guy. <laughs> he don't, could be on the ra- list. <laughs> Maybe I'm on the list. I have some personal news. Hashtag personal news. Uh, I'm leaving. I'm leaving to run Intel. I'm not just going there. I'm going to be in charge. They've been so impressed with what I've done with our podcast network. They said the skills are basically the same to run a mm-hmm. podcast network and it's the all sand. chip manufacturer. It's all made out of sand. All the podcasts. Yeah, that, that is how MP3s are formed. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, something to keep an eye on. It would be huge for both companies. And I just wanted to, to point it out. Uh, I also want to point out that as uh, promised on last week's episode, I wrote about the Intel – Developer transition kit that went up on Mac Stories uh, today on Wednesday. So I mentioned this like weirdo Mac that you couldn't buy unless you were a developer. And then you had to send it back, and it was a G5, but it had an Intel in it, but not an Intel chip that ended up in any shipping Macs, and it ran a weird version of Tiger. Anyways, super weird computer. 
We talked about it on the show last week, so I, I wanted to follow up and write about it uh, this month on Mac Stories, and uh, you can go read that. And it's it's a pretty wild story that they just, like, made this machine for developers, and uh, it's out there, and yeah, you can go, go read about it. It's one of those things that when I read it, I, I couldn't believe that I had no idea this thing existed, like this weird computer. And if you take a look at the photo that you were able to use in the story, it's super weird because it's basically empty inside, like half yeah. of the... <laughs> Half of the structure is unused, and it's so weird and amazing that Apple required uh, developers to send back the unit. Uh, mm-hmm. But some of them, as you mentioned in the story, um, ended up, you know, still in the hands of developers and some folks around the world, and they show up on online auctions and those kinds of places every once in a while. And today on Twitter, I saw somebody saying that they have a friend who still has one of these computers uh, back, you know, from the days of Steve Jobs back at Apple. Super weird, super interesting. Um, And you sort of... I liked how you, in your conclusion, um, you try to suggest that maybe a similar strategy could be used uh, for a transition to ARM in 2019 and 2020. But there's the big difference that up until today, Apple has sold already uh, millions of ARM devices. Unlike yeah. <laughs> back in the Intel days, these were their first Intel machines. So they didn't right. have a portfolio of ARM devices already. Uh, it's a very fascinating story and super weird and, and fascinating computer. I imagine Stephen is immediately just gone diving for your mentions to find the person who knows someone who has one of these, so we can <laughs> yeah, just it, offer it's them on some Twitter. money. It's on Twitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I had someone tell me, like, oh, yeah, I still have one. And they, they linked to a blog post they had written about it. So they're out there. If anyone wants to ship me one, just let me know. I also wanted to follow up about the MacBook Air. I shared a couple of weeks ago that I was looking to purchase one for my wife, and I was complaining about the ridiculous SSD configurations of the MacBook Air, you can go from 512 to a terabyte and a half, but there's no in-between. It's a really big price jump to a terabyte and a half, as you may imagine. And uh, I just I, f- I thought that sort of put the machine out of budget and made it just really expensive. So I, I went kind of diving through her iMac and found that she had a bunch of stuff that was taking up some space that like she didn't actually need, like if I could move over to the uh, the Drobo that we have. And so I did that. And so she uh, now has a new MacBook Air with the 512 gig SSD with plenty of breathing room. Uh, I paired it with the LG Ultrafine 4K display, Federico, mainly because of your experience with it. And I got to say, it's a really nice display. Like, yeah, the foot's kind of ugly and like there's not a camera in it, which I didn't know. I thought the camera was broken. And then I had to Google. I was like, oh, there's no camera in this. But it's uh, it's a it's a really nice looking display with a single USB-C cable Charges the MacBook Air, sends video. I have her Time Machine drive hooked up to the back of the display. It's a really clean setup. And I got to say, like, I'm going to write a review of the of the MacBook Air, but off the bat, I'm really impressed with it. Like, it's, at least in transferring, getting stuff set up, felt plenty fast. Uh, I heard the fan a couple times and it was doing big things, but even then it was quiet. And it is the same footprint as my 13-inch MacBook Pro with the touch bar. Like, on top of the each other, it, they're identical. And, in fact, the MacBook Air, I think, is a hair thicker at the back than the Pro is. But that wedge shape is really nice. Like, it is definitely a very – like, I see why Apple kept it. Like, I, I unboxed it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good-feeling computer. Like, it feels super solid. The wedge design is really nice. Uh, I'm really happy with it. She's really happy with it. And – 
Like if I didn't need a quad core 13 inch MacBook Pro, like if I were just looking to buy a machine for home or office use, now I can definitely say like the Air is the way to go. I've just it's really won me over in a way that I I didn't quite expect to be honest. I kind of thought I'd be frustrated with it somehow, and at least so far that has not been the case. I've really liked having one in the house. Uh, It's the year year of Mary, year Stephen, year of Mary. It's a nice yeah back and forth. I'm still not sure about the year of Stephen though because. You said two things under your year, Stephen. One of them was something you wrote. It didn't become more true because you wrote about it. <laughs> well, I just I, I fulfilled my promise to our listeners. There you go. That's it. There you go. That, okay. I do it for them. I don't do it for myself. Okay. Do it all for the listeners. I do it all we for heard the from listeners. a lot of people about what bullish and bearish and oh, where it comes from. Why? It felt why like a lot of people. It felt like a lot of people were just making it up, which I enjoyed. Um, but quite a few people said what Idhanti said, uh, but Idhanti put it in a way which seemed it seemed like it was coming from a place of authority and knowledge, but I have no idea if it really is. Rising share prices are called bullish because a bull attacks with its horns upwards, because like a bull will is like, that hit true? upwards. It can't kill anything and, smaller than itself? I don't know. Want to try? No, I I, I think <laughs> it can... <laughs> it's just in an upward motion, right? So, like you've seen when a like a, in like bullfighting, right? You've seen that kind of stuff. It could, you know, a bull can attack anything, but and uh, falling share prices are called bearish because a bear attacks with its paw by this striking makes no downwards. Sense. Ba- they can attack multiple both ways. people. Multiple people. No, because bears go down for the salmon, right? We were talking about this last time. Uh, yes. Multiple no, people have written down. in to say that this is the case. You wished it would stop. Now by you denying this, now you- it's going to keep happening. I don't or- know why... Uh, I don't know why we have to employ animal cruelty as a, as a, as a metaphor for, uh, to explain markets. It's not um, cruelty. These things hunt. Like, yeah. you know... Mm. Well, it's a it's a it's a cruel image of you know a bull that attacks you or a bear. It's the circle of life. It moves us all. I am going to propose a more naturalistic um, metaphor for okay. markets. A thunderish, uh, the thunder strikes down, and windish in that the wind sweeps, Wait, sweeps you lightning, up. Lightning, um, lightning strikes down. Thunder is just a noise. Lightning meets in the middle. Well, thunder doesn't strike. Thunders the sound of the lightning. lightning. And you must have seen those slow motion image like video, right? Where the lightning comes from the ground and from the sky. Yeah. What about then, Federico? Well, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Science. So what are we calling it? Lightningish, and what was the other one? Windish. 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 <laughs> Why? That, that one is funny. Windish, windish and lightningish. Right. So lightningish is bad, and windish is good. Yeah, something like that. All right. <laughs> Let's see if we can remember that. When's the next Apple earnings? It's like soon, right? Yeah, it's the next couple of weeks. I don't know. You, you should ask John Voorhees because he's going to take care of it. John, you're going to take care of it. Um, I'm, I am you. feeling lightning-ish on uh, iPhone right now. Really? Yep. Yep. Mm. This is based upon the fact that we all know that it hasn't done well, as they, well. They but told us beforehand. So I'm feeling very lightning-ish on it. Mm. Some good analysis. <laughs> this, uh, we should be analysts, and uh, yeah, okay. So thank you everyone for the explanations about bears and bulls. Uh, but we're not gonna use those animals anymore because we don't like to think about that. At least I, I don't. Uh, it's very cruel and very brutal. Uh, wind it's is not better. cruel. It's not cruel. It is cruel. It could be brutal, no. but it's not cruel. It's it is. This, this... The world is a cruel place, Mike. And that's uh, true. 
we should we should think about that on the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're just leaving this segment behind now. <laughs> yes. Uh, we we have a topic, but first I want to tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Connected is brought to you by PDF Pen, the ultimate tool for editing PDFs, built by our friends at Smile. Using PDF Pen, you can say goodbye to filing and go completely paperless with scanning and OCR. You can mark up and highlight PDFs. You can search and redact sensitive information such as account numbers or social security numbers. You can even correct text in PDFs even if you don't have the original, which is a really powerful tool to have. You can insert, remove, and reorder pages, move and adjust images, record and playback audio annotations. So if you're reading something long and need to make a note, you can just record something and it ties it to that location of the PDF. And if you have secret things, you can watermark them. If that's not enough, you get even more features with PDF Pen Pro, which allows you to create fillable PDF forms even automatically. I actually just had to do this. And man, the old ways of doing this before PDF Pen were miserable. Smile really makes it easy in this app. You can create and edit table of contents. You can convert websites into PDFs. You can add and edit document permissions to make sure you know who is seeing your document. And there's great news for lovers of dark mode. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro version 10.2 include support for dark mode on Mojave, plus smoother scrolling, faster thumbnail drawing, and increased maximum zoom. Look, basically, if you deal with PDFs at all, and most of us do, you need PDF Pen. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Our thanks to PDF Pen for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay, uh, the topic today is old things are new or dead things are alive. Like there's a whole little collection of stories here that <laughs> Is, is pretty amazing. And uh, Federico, I think you should take the first one because it's about your beloved air power. Yes. Um, so uh, I feel very optimistic about the fact that air power is still alive. Uh, and I told you guys this on last week's show. Um, now we have a report from this Hong Kong website called Charger Lab, who is citing a credible source um, saying that basically... Uh, this is like a game of telephone. Somebody told somebody that somebody working in a Chinese manufacturer <laughs> has seen plants of uh, like product. Uh, so the, the here's the story. Somebody told somebody that this Chinese manufacturer called Lux Share Precision has started production of air power. They make uh, AirPods. They make, company. yes, they are an existing yep. manufacturer for Apple. They make uh, accessories that are already shipping. So that's the, that's the element that sort of drives um, the story here. One of the existing Apple manufacturers may be already working on AirPower. So it's not like some new company nobody has ever heard of before. Um, then again... Uh, this is a, just another rumor that uh, air power started mm, is actually coming out. Uh, we don't have anything else. We don't have any photo. We don't have any schematics. We don't have any more detail than just this website uh, saying that they have a credible source that claims that this existing manufacturer is now producing air power units. Now, do we think it's coming out? I personally think it is. Um, 
I think this rumor makes absolutely no difference to me, right? Like, I feel like if you it, think this rumor if makes you think no it's difference. coming out, you still think it. If you don't, you still think it's not because I still don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of those things that you're either a believer or you're not. And as we've seen, Mike uh, doesn't like fun. Uh, I do, and that's why I believe in her power. I still think it is extremely strange. I mean. Let aside the fact that their power story is already extremely strange, but it would be even more extreme for Apple to just completely ignore the fact that this product never came out. And not even to say it didn't work out, we canceled it, but just nothing, just radio silence. I think the only explanation is they want to release it, but it's still not ready. I don't believe, and this is just me, right, uh, and a bunch of other people on Twitter who are still believers, um, I still think Apple wants to release this product. And there are some signs here and there, uh, which, again, some people will say that's a mistake. Others would say that's probably a sign, such as, for example, the mention of Air Power. And I know that I'm jumping ahead in, the, yeah, in, the, in this section. Spoilers, I'm sorry. Uh, a mention of Air Power on some international websites, I think the Malaysia store maybe, for the new iPhone XS and XR battery cases that Apple is uh, has released this week. And there's an AirPower mention there, but then it was sort of removed. It's a very strange story. We've seen this before with the instruction. Yeah, it's not there. I think the removal, <laughs> it doesn't help you. It doesn't help me, but then why would it still? I don't know. I don't know. I still think, again, this rumor doesn't change anything. I still think it's coming out. Um, but yeah, um, there's this rumor now. So make it make up that what you want. I will point out that Charger Lab uh, has been in the news before. They're the ones who broke the story about the 18-watt USB-C charger. And they said it was okay. going to come with the phone. But it ended up coming with the iPad Pro. So they had the product wrong. But there is some connection here to like what's actually going on. So who knows? I I think this only helps your case that it's real. That was a good reference, Paul. That was good. That's some good reporting right there. Good job, Stephen. Talking about about things that are dead but could be alive again, the iPad Mini. So this rumor was actually at the end of the year, but it's it keeps coming back that there is the potential for a iPad Mini five. This is from Mac Rumors via China Times. Uh, basically saying that uh, this could be uh, this could be a thing again. And so currently, the iPad Mini is in a very sad state. So it was last updated in September 2015. There's only one SKU. It's 128 gig for 399. So it's more than the 9.7 inch iPad, even though it's smaller and considerably older. I can't imagine they're selling many of them, but it's still there, and it's one of those things like. Maybe it's still there because there's an update coming. You know, it could be the end of its life. It could be gone tomorrow, but it's still there for some reason for a really long time. You know, it's it's sort of it and the Mac Pro. It's like which one is makes me the saddest. But I'm curious y'all's take on it. We've all used the iPad Mini in the past, but we've all graduated from it. Is this something that we're interested in? Who do we think the market is for this? How do you think it competes with the 329 iPad? Mm. Um. I'm not interested in this iPad in in a smaller iPad. Um, again, I'm fine with the 11 inch iPad Pro, which we are going to talk about eventually. 
uh, right? Uh, we were <laughs> next week. Next week, week we, promise. Uh, we promise we're going <laughs> to talk about it. Um, I have a theory uh, that would explain the iPad Mini sort of coming back, and my theory is in line with other trends uh, in in Apple's product line. I think Apple could raise the price of the base. Apple will. Apple n- will raise the price. 9.7 <laughs> iPad <laughs> and the new iPad mini with cheaper and possibly older components will take that price slot at 329. Uh, so the base iPad gets more expensive. The iPad mini comes in and fills that slot um, so that Apple is covering uh, all the possible price points. Uh, and, and that's, you're assuming there's a revision to the 9.7 to warrant the more expensive price? I don't know. That's actually a good question. Because um, that would be super weird if they were just like, oh, you remember that iPad? Which It's just now more expensive. Like, we didn't do anything to it. Yeah, what what would they add? I mean, I guess the, the obvious thing to me is they could laminate the screen, but that's... I don't know. I don't think I agree that that, that price point is going to go up. I think maybe a year ago I would have thought that it would. But now I think Apple sort of feels the pressure of this sort of thing. And like the whole idea of this iPad is to make it like a, a che- the cheapest way into education. And I feel like the 9.7-inch form factor is better for that than the smaller Mini. So maybe the price would be the same or – Maybe the mini would be less, but I don't. I think that three twenty nine iPad is in a really sweet spot. I'm not sure they want to mess with that. Yeah, there was a follow up story in January um, showing like a purported unreleased case with some specs that it was powered by an A nine, which was in the twenty seven iPads and uh, and the iPhone six S, which seems super strange. Um, mm-hmm. And it also showed like a case which Mac rumors called it rose gold. And I don't know if it's rose gold. It looks a little bit more like the the regular gold now, which sits in the middle. But if that is rose gold, yeah. then this isn't going to be released because Apple don't make rose gold anymore. They're not going to introduce a new rose gold product. They don't make rose gold products anymore. They just do like silver, space gray, and gold. And the new gold is a warmer gold. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that may just be a translation deal or someone thinks it's rose gold and it's not or i mean i, I don't think that's a huge flag. but uh if it, i'm just saying like if it is specifically said to be rose gold then i don't think this specific one that we're seeing right here will ever exist yeah has anybody has anybody tried to translate those little dots on the left side of the case if you see the photo on mac rumors um mm-hmm. the inside of the of the aluminum case mm-hmm. there's a uh, some dots hmm. it looks like braille uh language it's probably not but i mean they must mean something those are very specific <laughs> shapes yeah it might be something for a computer to read right like a r- mm. robot maybe it says maybe it says our power is real it's just johnny i've trolling somebody <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh well okay sorry yeah i mean i mean who who knows this i, I just struggle the, the current ipad mini i think all of its all of its market got eaten up by the 329 iPad, right? It's bigger, it's cheaper, it's newer, it's faster, it has pencil support, everything's nicer about it. And I just wonder if the Mini 5 is real, what market it has? Like, does it just kind of go back to like the one you buy your kids? But now, like for a while now, the 9.7 has been that, I think. It is for our family. We bought a new 9.7 this year. Or is there a market for people who have an iPad Pro 
but want something smaller for reading and some like light social media type stuff. Like I have thought about this a couple of times over the years, especially with the 12.9 iPad Pro. Like I actually tried reading in bed with it the other night and my wife came in and she's like, what are you doing? It's like, you're going to hurt yourself. It's so Isn't big. Isn't that what the 11 inches like, for, I, right, Federico? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could just buy an 11 inch <laughs> iPad Pro like Federico yep. did. But the mini like is compelling in those cases, but like I'm not going to spend money on that. But I don't know, like, is there room for somebody who wants just like a secondary iPad and it doesn't matter if it's not as powerful or as big? I, I, just, I just don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think they're going to bring the mini back. I don't, I don't think they're going to do it. You think it's gone? I, I just can't, I'm struggling to understand, like, what, what, it fits now. Like, where where is it supposed to go? I don't know. But they still sell the old one, so I don't know. I'm just really conflicted on it. Because if it is like, oh, here's our new product with, like, chips in it from two years ago, I just don't know how, like, compelling it is. I, I don't know. I, I haven't really... Ah, I'm conflicted on this one, genuinely. Because I know a lot of people would yeah. like it, but... Especially if it's, like, two ninety nine, Like, yeah. and they sell pretty well just for the price. What's the cheapest an iPad's ever been? Is it three twenty nine? I believe so. Okay. Because okay. I remember the Mini was cheap, right? But the iPad, the regular iPad was like 500 then or something anyway. So like it may have been like three something. We have uh, we have real-time follow-up in the chat room from Kate that it's not Braille because Braille characters are in two by three arrangements, which this isn't. All right. Okay. Yeah. Thank I'm you. sure it's some sort of like laser reading or something. So yeah, so the, the original iPad Mini came out at 329 for 16 gigabytes of storage. So that's the lowest. That 329 is the lowest price point for iPads then. It looks okay. like it. Just eyeballing this, yeah. N- and it didn't say they very long. The iPad Mini 2 went to 399. <laughs> <laughs> Slowly ratcheting it up. Now, talk about weird products, weird old products coming back. There was a rumor that several suppliers at CES reportedly told Mac Otakara that a 7th generation iPod Touch might be in development as a replacement for the 6th generation version. (laughs) That's like minimal viable rumor, right? Like Mm -hmm. there might be a new one to replace the old one. Possibly in development, maybe. (laughs) That's so great. Said somebody. I recently remembered that I bought an iPod Touch last summer in July. I have no idea, yeah. I have no recollection of this iPod Touch or the reason why I bought it. I know because... Uh, you bought it for iOS 12 performance testing. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're right. I did. Okay, so where is this iPod Touch? Yep. Okay. Well, I haven't got that information. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, look in, look in the drawer under There's your no bed. There's drawer under my know. bed. Maybe it's um, under there. Okay. Well, well that's mm. what you think. Yeah, I picked I picked one up so we could have an Apple Music device for our live shows. So we go and like we play a playlist beforehand, and that's all I use it for. And every time I pick it up, I'm like, I remember when this screen felt big, like when it was even smaller than this. But it's it's itty bitty. Uh, again, last updated in 2015, has an A8 processor. It does come with some color options, which is fun. Mine is blue, which is the best option, but. Again, a product that it feels like there's no market for anymore. Like the iPad Mini ate the iPod Touch's market, and the iPad Mini's market got eaten by the 329 iPad. Like it's a food chain of sadness. And I don't see this happening. Like, Mike, you said that about the iPad Mini. 
I will be shocked if the iPod Touch gets a revision. I just don't see why it still exists. I remember when people used to call it the iTouch. Oh yeah, it's my favorite. Um, and also, I I wanted to, I wanted to note how over the holidays I've been talking to some friends and they still refer to the Apple Watch as the iWatch. So that hasn't gone away. Uh, mm. I I mean, just saying. What about uh, Xere? Is that still a thing? <laughs> oh, good job. Yes, that is still a thing. And I have. Um, I've given up on trying to respect Apple's uh, product names. And now, even in casual conversations, I call it the XS and XR uh, in Italian. So, I guess the good thing for you is you can say that and it not pollute when you speak in English, right? Because they're like two different things. So like to us, you can probably maybe separate it and call it the XS and XR. Because then when you're speaking to your friends, you're saying it in a different it language anyway. It doesn't come natural even in English anymore. No. no. I just want to call it the XS and the XR. It's just... I'm not going to... As I said, like I, I don't get... I wouldn't get mad anymore. When they start throwing more letters <laughs> in there, I think they've ruined everything. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so we hmm. spent this this topic talking about rumors for things that might be coming back, but something actually did come back, which is the iPhone battery cases, and they're back and better than ever. They're now available. You can buy them right now for the 10s, the 10s Max, and the 10R, and they're shipping later on this week. They are Qi compatible now, which is kind of cool. So you can charge it right and the phone by Qi uh, with the case on it. Um, and it gives some pretty impressive battery improvements. So like 75% improvement on the 10s in, in the amount of time you can get. So you get 21 hours of use with the case uh, when browsing the web. 54% improvement for the 10s Max and 47% improvement for the iPhone XR. Um, so putting them all over 20 hours of usage, uh, which is wild, right? That is incredible, yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely mm-hmm. cannot wait to get mine um tomorrow um this is honestly and they're all the same price yeah. they all cost 129 dollars uh, is 149 euros in italy but whatever mm. I, I was glad to see that there wasn't a premium for the bigger phones because in the previous era of the battery case there was only the one size the plus phones never got it and like i'd imagine like the 10r has incredible battery life i mean it's just never never going to end with the battery case on it. So I'm glad it's on the newer ones. Federico, you said you ordered one. I did too, actually, just because this year, 2019 has more travel than ever for me. And that's always where I push my phones. And, and it, uh, you know, I have like a small battery in my bag and I have to plug it in, but this I can just slap on the phone and be done with it. And uh, so I'm excited to have it. I'm not going to use it every day, but, you know, for these like week long trips I have coming up, I think it's going to be a lifesaver. Yeah, I don't have a lot of trips planned so far. I just hate it when it's midnight and I see a red battery icon on my on my on my phone. Um I just even if I have still twenty percent left and I could you know, I could go to sleep at like two to three AM and it, it'll be fine. It just bothers me to have that uh that risk, you know. Maybe maybe I'm going out, I don't know. But I don't wanna live with that, you know, in that precarious situation of a red battery icon and it's midnight. So I'm gonna put this case on and leave it all the time, as I used to. As I used to do, really? yeah, man, mm-hmm. for sure. Like when, as I used to do with the iPhone Seven, for that period of time when I had the iPhone Seven before upgrading to the Seven Plus, I used the iPhone Seven with the smart battery case on all the time. Um, the fact that I that it doesn't 
fit in my pockets as easily. It's not a big deal um, because I, like, I I can put the phone in like in the pocket of my sweater or something like a hoodie uh, if if it has pockets. Um, it's not a concern or my jacket in the winter. Or, um, it's not a problem. Also, I have an Apple Watch, and if I'm going out and I don't like I'm. If I don't want to bring the phone with me now with the cellular watch, I'm totally okay. So the increased footprint is not a concern. And I just, I mean, it's what I wrote with the iPhone 7 two years ago. The dream of the 24-hour iPhone, like actual 24 hours, that's incredible to me. And the fact that it supports wireless charging, I didn't even know when I clicked buy. Like, I clicked buy so fast, I didn't even read the description. <laughs> uh, Steven sent us a link to Renee's tweet about it, and I just went to the... I changed the URL um, to include IT for the Italian store. I clicked buy, and I was done. And then I realized it supports wireless charging, and I was very happy about that. I was very happy about that. So. <laughs> that feels like a typical kind of thing that I would do, but when I do that, I always end up making some kind of mistake. <laughs> well, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You buy the wrong size, uh-huh. uh, wrong size case. I think it's great that it supports wireless charging. So for those of us, like that's the way I charge my phone all the time. Like a, a, the only time my phone gets a lightning cable plugged into it is if I'm in my car for CarPlay. And it's this makes that more seamless. You don't have to think about, oh, I have the battery case on, but I don't have a lightning by my bed anymore. And like, I'm glad they did that. It seems like the way that it's doing it is, is pretty smart too. Just, just like the old battery case was. It prioritizes iPhone battery life. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, though, is that the iPhone XS version of this is not compatible with the iPhone 10. So again, Renee, no, no, it is. It actually is. Renee just tweet. I, I checked for you um, as because I know you were going to mention this, and turns out it is. You may get you may get an alert saying that, huh. that it is not compatible, but if you dismiss the alert, it's gonna charge. Or you may need to reboot uh, if it's not Yikes. charging right away. So this is obviously that doesn't seem very compatible. <laughs> I just I just assume that that Renee got word from Apple because he just tweeted. Uh, Here's the one hundred percent correct info. So I just assume this info comes from Apple. This is advertised yeah. as an iPhone XS accessory, but I guess it's going to work fine with your iPhone X. There's a bunch yeah, of people it, on Mac Room. It will technically work, yeah. right? Like, it will technically work. But, but of course, it, the speaker, it, you're not going to get the best experience. Like, the speaker and yeah. the mics are not aligned because of the different design of the X and the XS. So it will work right. uh, if you absolutely need one and you still have an iPhone X. You can sort of buy one. Uh, I mean, at that point, you should you should get like a Mophie one or something. I, I feel like this isn't the right option for you. If right, it seems like it breaks so much yeah, stuff. Yeah. I I don't know um, if this is the the right option. I for do you. have a small rant, if you will, about um, this case. In defense of this case, actually, uh, because I um, and and I got this kind of criticism two years ago for that section of my article about the iPhone Seven, and I got the same kind of comments yesterday when I shared the fact that I was happy that this product uh, was coming out. Um, I think, like, I I don't like the fact that the smart battery case um, is mostly judged on its appearance alone without actually considering the benefits of this case. Um, yes, it's not pretty. It's not a masterpiece of elegance. Um, personally, I don't think 
it's that much uglier than other battery cases. I mean, you're adding thickness to your phone. That's what you're doing. I think it's it's better looking. I think than it's actually. I think it's actually better looking than the previous one. I think it's better looking than other cases that I see people put on the onto their phones. Um, but the functionality that this case provides is so much better than what you can get by uh, from third-party battery cases. And now it even supports wireless charging, which is just a cherry on top for me. Um, the fact that you can put on this case and not worry about battery management in that the case charging charges alongside the phone and it discharges automatically without you having to say, okay, enable case now. Like everything is automatic, everything is invisible. And you get the integration on the lock screen with the two battery indicators. You get the two, uh, you, you get the extra info in the batteries widget on your, uh, in, the, in the widget view. Um, it's so well done and so well integrated and so natural to use that I think the functionality alone makes it so much better than anything else you can get from a third-party manufacturer where you need to manually turn on the case or manually like say, oh, I want to charge charge the case or I want to charge the phone. Um, so yes, you can make fun of the design, but I think objectively speaking, the functionality is superior to third-party options because Apple makes it and because Apple has decided to have this tighter integration between the case and the phone. So uh, it's just something that, doesn't necessarily bother me, but I think it's a bit silly to just say, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's Johnny Ive design. Here's what he's making now. Like, I don't care about, I don't care about Johnny Ive jokes, but I think as a product, it's, it's, it's a solid option. It's a better option than, than third-party cases. And it's one of those things, right, that, that people make fun without, without necessarily thinking about what it does. Um, Hashtag hot take. It's, a, it's, a, it's the worst kind of hot take Yes, it looks. Uh, it adds a hump to your phone, but the other cases do the same. If you want to add a battery to your phone, that's what it does. So uh, I'm gonna get one tomorrow. Uh, I ordered a black one, and I'm gonna test it with all my wireless chargers. See how it works. Um, Mike, are you getting one of these even just to try it? So I thought about getting one to try it, but it won't. It would arrive when I uh, am on my way to Seattle for PodCon. Okay. By the way, if you're going to be at PodCon, or you're going to be in Seattle, you should go to PodCon. I'm going to be there uh, this weekend, so I hope to see people there. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll either get one when I'm in Seattle, mm-hmm. or I'll get one when I come home. And then I realized, oh, but I won't be able to use, I'd have to get like a pop socket for it, which I could do, because I think personally, like, the thing that con- would concern me about this case, just for me, it looks less usable than the old one because, like, you could kind of like, if you are a pinky phone holder like I am, you could rest it underneath the like the hump. But now, like, it just looks like it's really thick, and like, I don't know how that's going to feel to to hold and use. I think it will make for a lot of people, and I think even for me, someone who has relatively big hands, I think I would struggle to use my phone one handed with it being pretty much like i don't know like twice as thick or Uh whatever um but i'm intrigued i mean i'm intrigued i I really do think that this is a product that makes more sense if you're a wireless charger which again i'm not really uh but i'm excited to see what you guys think of it that that will probably be what would end up pushing my thinking i mean right now i have absolutely no problems at all with my phone like so i'm going to be getting on a transatlantic flight tomorrow 
And I'm convinced that I probably won't need to charge my phone. Like, it's crazy. The 10s Max is just crazy. Um, I've been having... I have personally have had great success with the battery life on that phone. Um, but I do think stuff like conferences, it could be good to have it. So I don't have to, like, uh, worry about, I don't know, having to have a Mophie with mm-hmm. me. Mm. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see because, like, for all I know, like, even though you're excited about it, you might get it and be like, oh, it's really not great because of this, you know? Mm. So considering I'm not, like, super personally excited for it, um, I'm going to wait to see what you think before I before I think about purchasing all one. All right. Okay. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Away. Away makes smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. And we just talked about this. What do you need most while you're traveling? You need more battery. And when you buy an away suitcase, you can charge all of your devices while you travel. Both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge. Go to awaytravel.com slash connected now and you can browse away suitcases Featuring premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, but still lightweight. Choose from over 10 colors and five sizes. They've got the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large, and the kids carry-on for the smaller travelers amongst us. And they cut out the middleman so you can get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're like me and you're an overpacker. You can squeeze stuff in there. And it comes with four 360-degree spinner wheels to make it really easy to navigate the airport and public transit and everywhere else you need to go with this thing. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the amount you can pack with TSA combination locks built right in. Another feature I really love inside is a removable washable laundry bags. You can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones. Uh, We've got a couple of away suitcases uh, in the family now. We've got uh, one of the big ones, but I really love the carry-on because it's super lightweight. You can pack it full of stuff, and that battery really is a lifesaver. I got stuck with my away carry-on in the airport for several hours on a trip uh, last year, and having that battery meant I didn't have to go find a plug in an airport, which is, as you know, can be like trying to find a, a, a needle in a haystack. Uh, so, so bad. Yeah. Every time I see people like sitting in a hallway, like on the floor, <laughs> plugging their phone in, I just feel I, it's just like you don't want to be in that. No one wants to be in mm-hmm. that situation. Yep. So uh, a way can, can save your bacon there. They believe in the quality of their products, and that's why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it for life. They also have that 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy with free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. So go to awaytravel.com connected, and if you use the offer code connected at checkout, you get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com connected and the code connected for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we are now joined on Connected by a very special guest. We have Tyler Stallman with us. Tyler is a YouTuber and a podcaster and my favorite person on Instagram. Hi, Tyler. Wow. Favorite person. That's amazing. Hi, guys. Yeah, Thanks for having you me. Do, you do very good Instagram stories. Uh, and I want to ask you some questions about those a little later on. Um, but we mentioned this last week. So a few weeks ago, 
Um, Federico discovered that he was upset about the way that the smart HDR looks, Mm -hmm. right? Like you didn't like the fact that you felt like it didn't look as good as pre-smart HDR photos. Yeah. And then we used uh, some images that Tyler uh, published as like an example of this. And it kind of did a couple of things. One, I figured we should have Tyler on the show because I think he's great. Um, And the other thing, I think me and Federico both like started wandering into iOS photo editing about around the same time. And I I mean, I I think I can speak for both of us when I say we have no idea what we're doing. Um, just like pressing yes. buttons like oh look at this filter I'll just put the structure all the way to the top sharpness oh yes exposure yeah. oh, great so we <laughs> felt like we needed a real professional um, so we've asked Tyler to come on the show today to give us kind of like a crash course in uh, basic photo editing yeah and you gave me a real challenge of doing it through audio so we're going to try to do it in a way that can be completely I didn't explained think of that and Till maybe it was too late, and then we're just like, "Well, let's just see what we can do." <laughs> no, 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 it's going to work. Most of the the most important things can be described, and you can apply them without seeing examples. Of course, you should follow up afterwards and maybe watch some tutorials or look at some examples. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, one of the most valuable things in all of this is looking at other people's photos, even just following great photographers on Instagram, for example, and remembering what it is about their photos that you like, so that you can kind of create a target. Of, what you're even trying to do. Like, what, what is it that you want to edit your photos to look like? Okay. So you would say, like, finding some people that you like and keeping their images around. Like, even though I wouldn't know how to get an image from here to there, I could at least some like at least have something to aim for. Is that what you mean? Like, uh, even yeah. though I don't know what how to achieve it, I can keep working at it. Yeah, absolutely. That was a big step for me was just ripping out pages of magazines and putting it next to things I was doing and thinking about like, what is it about the skin that looks different in their photo from my photo? And then guessing at steps that I could take to gradually try to bring it closer. But for you guys, even just deciding on what is, what's the overall goal, right? I mean, for me, it was trying to build up a portfolio as a photographer and having work that could get me jobs. But you guys probably don't, you're not so concerned about your photos looking like they belong in a magazine. You just want them to look better in, in some kind of way. So finding other people that have that kind of photography that are doing the same kind of thing that you think would look good in whatever environments you want to publish in, whether it's social or printing them or, you know, hopefully it was more than just Instagram that you're going to do with your photos. Um, it's it's really good to set that target. <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you, I think. I just, really, <laughs> all I care about is just making my photos on Instagram look better. That's all I care about right now. Um, that's just all I want to do. Because I like... You're not alone. It's in the same way that I try hard to say smart things on Twitter and fail all the time. Uh, but it's like a similar thing. I just want my pictures to look good like i having gotten into instagram stories more recently i post less to my instagram feed because i like the way that the two things kind of match up and i just try and post like things that i find super interesting or that look nice or are big moments in my life to my actual instagram feed so now i feel like i'm imposing a greater pressure on myself to make those images look better Uh, but i actually am taking that as an interesting challenge and that's why i wanted to learn a little bit more about this. Federico, why did you want to? Yeah, I feel like um, part of the reason is that I was dissatisfied with the with the standard look of the um, of Smart HDR and just photos taken on the 10s. 
Um, and part of that was also that I, I've always been curious to learn about um, shooting manual on, and, you know, dealing with raw files on iOS. Um, it's, you know, whenever I look at those uh, apps like Highlight, for example, or Darkroom or Lightroom, I feel like it's something, it's a skill that I want to learn. And it's something that intrigues me, but I don't know where to start. I don't know if I'm good at it. I don't know how to learn. And I tried multiple times to just, um, you know, read a couple of tutorials online, watch a couple of videos. Um, but then I feel like I lack the the basic understanding of what the, like the terminology, what it means, what I'm doing. And I feel like it's like I'm trying to read... Um, the divine comedy without knowing the alphabet sort of um like i'm trying to use this super complex tool but i lack the very fundamentals to understand what i'm doing to fully control the output and to fully control my actions even so um it was a combination of being dissatisfied with the default look of photos taken on the iphone 10s but also uh, an effort to um try to understand this this uh you know these apps and and this process that intrigues me but I, I don't know how to start well the good news is the fundamentals take you really far if you just do the the most basic things which is mostly what we'll talk about today is the simplest way to deal with exposure white balance straightening all that that will get you almost all the way to photos that you're really happy with uh, after that it's it's tweaking and refining and making it more and more perfect but honestly so many of the basics people actually get pretty far wrong. So ho hopefully I can help with that a bit. And also I got to take a chance to be here to respond a little to the way that you guys were talking about the iPhone XS and smart HDR photos. And I, so I really love how the iPhone XS and XR looks. I think it takes the best photos of any phone that I've had. And in the example that you had in the show, I think was a, was a very good example of improvements. But there are a lot of photos that come out, even for me, that look weird. More than any time in the past with any previous phone, this wasn't such an issue. And the main time that it gets really awkward looking is if you have a really dark background and your subject is relatively brighter. Then all of a sudden the camera thinks that you're shooting a dark scene and it starts really pushing that HDR hard to make the subject, your person, exposed for the dark background. Because the, the camera doesn't have a perfect understanding of, you know, what is the subject, what is the background. It tries, it guesses, sometimes it's right. And the more accurate it is, the better it does. But if it can't figure it out, it can look totally crazy and, and over-the-top HDR. Uh, that's, that's the one downside of smart HDR. So you're not wrong that it can ruin your photos sometimes. And I think that's where I am with it. You know, I've got more, not saying that I'm an expert, but I've got more experience with this than my co-hosts. But where I end up being frustrated is when I'm trying to fight what the iPhone wants to do in some of the situations. Like I've turned the smart HDR stuff off and that feel, I feel like I've got a little more of a predictable outcome with that being disabled. But that's kind of where I am is like, Sometimes like, I just want it to not do what it wants to do. And I guess that's where some of these more professional apps that let you shoot in raw and do these other things come into play. But like if your kid's running around or, you know, the dog's doing something cute, hitting it from the lock screen is the fastest thing. So I find myself in that default camera app, even though I know some of these other tools are far better for what I want. 
Yeah. Well, let's start with shooting then. Uh, the, I would say the, the first thing is typically you you can use smart HDR most of the time. I find for, for my photography that it works great and, and does a better job um, maybe 70% of the time, like a, a good majority. It's usually how I launch my camera and I'm usually happy that I did. And uh, one of the differences in how you guys are looking at my example photos is that I know that I'm going to make a few adjustments later. So something that you saw in the image was that the contrast was too low. It, it didn't feel punchy enough. And for me, I'm always, well, that's, you know, to me, that's totally fine because I know I'm going to be adding that later. So I'm really not very concerned if I see that when it's coming out of the photo. But in those really weird situations, that's when I launch Halide. That is That has become my go-to uh, third-party camera app. And it's not too bad to launch. All of them have a way of setting it to the shortcut screen so that you just kind of have one extra swipe and then have a giant open Halide button on my my left screen. Or what is that? Notification screen, I guess. Um, no, not notification. What do you call that screen on the left? Oh, I had this the other day. The, the uh, no, wait, Federica, the what dashboard. is it called? Where the widgets go. <laughs> Did you say dashboard? <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> iDashboard. Where, where do the widgets go? Uh, I think it's called the, the Today View. Oh, yeah. um, oh I never would have thought today of that. View, but it's also the, the search screen. It's kind of weird. Well, it's, I think Apple calls it the Today Whichever view, camera yeah. app you land on, it's worth adding a, a big button in there. They all have that option to create a widget. And I just put my highlighted one near the top. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's just a giant open camera button. And usually I'll have already opened my normal camera and I see like, okay, this looks weird. It's doing that thing. Uh, I'm going to switch over. And then in highlight, I just leave it to raw all the time. And I only shoot raw when I'm trying to prevent that weirdness. Um, or actually this one other time is also in very low light. It does, it does a much better job in low light. It's much sharper, a little noisier, but the details much more pronounced. So the rest of the time, I do use the regular camera. You're not going to find uh, a lot more dynamic range anymore. You, you did on previous iPhones. There's a bigger difference in shooting RAW. But Smart HDR got so good that that gap has been narrowed a little bit. So I don't find myself shooting RAW for normal photos. It's just for if something's going wrong. And basically what Halide does is, even if you take it on full auto mode, just use Halide as it's intended, but you shoot raw in its default settings, you're going to be able to have a lot more flexibility afterwards to take out any of that weird HDRness. It's going to look much more like a normal photo. All right. So once you've got the picture taken, but well, do, do you recommend any other third-party camera apps, by the way? Or like, do you, like, I know you use Halide, but like, I wonder, like, why do you use Halide? And are there any others that, that you do like? I also like Lightroom lot. Uh, the only reason I don't, I, that I go towards Halide instead of Lightroom is that I so don't... So Lightroom's also a camera? Yes, and it's and it's well a really good a camera. Yeah. They, oh, okay. they did a great job of their RAW and their... It is a it is as good as Halide, really, in, in most ways. Hmm. But um, it wants to do a little bit more. So as you take those Lightroom photos, it starts syncing them into their Lightroom CC thing, so then they show up on my desktop. And um, that seems really convenient, but I find it just kind of confuses my workflow to have it sitting in two different places, whereas Halide is just saving right. it into my photo library. And I guess, like, if you use Lightroom on the Mac or PC or whatever, you don't necessarily expect all of the photos you took on your iPhone to be in there, I guess, right? Like, it's 
that's like two different workflows, I guess, for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. It's just creating a bit of separation between my big camera photos and my mobile photos. But you will find <laughs> yeah. whichever app that you choose, because there's others. There's another one called Manual. That's what I was using before. Headlight. That's also. They're all just as good of quality. What I like about Halide is they're they're just really active in their development and their social stuff and their support. Um, Sebastian DeWitt came on my show a while ago to talk, just to walk me through everything about uh, smart HDR because it's hard to understand. And I love that they're the kind of uh, developer that will do that. They'll go on podcasts to explain what the hell this weird camera is doing. So I I really appreciate their sort of activity in the community. So. And there are any others, or are they like the main ones for you? Uh, also, Moment from Moment Lenses. And you might get some questions in about uh, using those third-party lenses, right? They are really appealing. Like, they look really cool mounted to the front of your phone. All of a sudden, it becomes what looks like a professional camera. And um, just it, the most important thing to know is that even the best of them, which I, I think Moment is the best, it's not going to improve the quality of your photo all it does is change your perspective. So it either lets you see more in a wider image or less in a zoomed-in, closer telephoto image. But there's no better quality. Um, But then Moment has developed a really great camera app as well uh, that that works fantastic for taking photos. And then if you're shooting video, also just throw in Filmic Pro, which gives you full manual controls. It's really, really powerful, more powerful than you need, and uh, yeah, really amazing for video production. Yeah, I use that because it's an app that works with like the DJI Osmo. Like mm. it actually it will work with it. So I've used Filmic Pro for that. But that's an app where like a lot of the other apps like like Halide and Moment and I've used like, and we're going to talk about like Darkroom and stuff and, you know, apps like Obscure and stuff. They're really beautiful. But Filmic is a nightmare <laughs> it's like oh yeah it's hard to get around I, I don't really this is this, this is like even even halide i find personally like i open that app and i'm like and it's kind of whilst it's attractive i think has some of the filmic problem of like i feel like i'm not allowed here like there's way too much stuff happening and i don't understand any of it and like if i accidentally put my thumb in the wrong place everything is just like destroyed like that, I think that's a lot of the stuff that is right. can be difficult for for people with my absolute zero knowledge. But like filmic is way worse because it's almost impossible to understand unless you want to give an afternoon to it. And then I guess when you do, it's like it's super useful. And there's a bunch of stuff that you can do, especially with video, right? Like it has really good controls for video, um, but it's super daunting. Yeah, it is more of a professional tool. I mean, the main thing that you would do in in Highlight, like if you only are going to override one manual option, it would just be to touch on the screen and drag up and down for the exposure. Um, That that does the most, and it is a little more predictable than adjusting the exposure in the uh, camera Mm. app, the Apple camera app will... um, It'll still just try to guess, right? Because you're only touching a point, and then it reevaluates its automatic modes. Whereas sliding up and down in Halide will actually manually force the camera to make it brighter or darker, and it'll always get you a bit closer to what you're hoping for. Hmm. Okay, this brings me to my main question: um, When I'm shooting RAW, say that I'm that I'm using Halide and I have the RAW toggle enabled. 
do I still have to care <laughs> about good exposure? Isn't the point of Raw that everything can be changed later? And can I actually, before you answer that, can I ask you to actually explain why? <laughs> like, why Why would I shoot Rock? <laughs> Is that, can we like start yes. with that and then go into the yeah, last question? That's a good one. <laughs> Okay, so RAW, RAW is a lot more valuable in bigger cameras, I find. Like, I 100% of the time shoot RAW on my SLRs or mirrorless cameras that have a large sensor and are saving much bigger photos. There is way more data saved to a RAW file on a big camera. Whereas on these, on a, a smartphone, Apple is already doing most of the work with Smart HDR to pull every bit of data out of the sensor possible. So there isn't much left over for you to manually recover in RAW. The reasons you do it on your phone are because the noise reduction is a little aggressive on the iPhone. So images will come out a little more smooth. Or if you ever have that kind of watercolor effect where it looks a little bit blotchy and overly smooth, that's because Apple's being a little too aggressive, for well, for my taste, in their noise reduction, which kind of makes sense. I think most people are would have a worse response to noise than to that kind of image. So I think they're making the right choice for the mainstream, but if you shoot raw, you're able to make that choice yourself more. So there ends up being more noise, but it's much, much sharper. The, the detail stays in the image more. Uh, when it comes to bigger cameras, you do save a lot more dynamic range. Um, but yeah, again, it just in the iPhone, there are less advantages. The one thing that is preserved is white balance. So when you're saving a JPEG, the... Do, wait, do you guys know what white balance is? I don't know how far back I should start. No, please, okay, please, okay. please offer so context. The, assume nothing let's, is about the answer to everything. Let's talk about the two most important things of a photo. This is both what we're going to aim for when we're shooting and then also what we're going to adjust later. Uh, it's exposure and white balance. Those are the, the key things that just matter the absolute most. Exposure is the brightness of the image, right? Seems relatively easy to understand. Uh, one thing that isn't completely intuitive is that there isn't one correct exposure for most photos because light is hitting everything in a scene differently, right? If there's some deep shadows uh, because the sun is being is shading a wall and the light just isn't getting into that area, you would raise the exposure. You'd make it brighter if you want to see into those shadows, but then some other right. part of the image might be too bright. So you're choosing which part of the photo do I want to be correct? It's not, there isn't necessarily one right answer. It's a, a bit of a choice. Uh, then when it comes to white balance, it's a little bit more, you've got to get it right. Fortunately, the phone does a great job of this. Usually it's not wrong. If you want to see probably the best example of when it gets confused and will get it wrong is if you can shoot with snow in the shade. Uh, Federico, you're going to have a hard time with this, I imagine. <laughs> Both of those things. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but, yeah. But um, what will happen is that, like, snow turns really, really blue. And, and so does sh shadows. Like, the shade in general is bluer than sunshine. And you usually don't notice it because the camera's just doing that work for you. But if you shoot a raw photo afterwards, you can move the white balance from a warmer, yellower, yellower-redder look to a bluer, cooler look, and that will make the photo either look wrong or right, depending on what the original light source is. So it's really something you've got to play with. First, just take some normal photos in RAW 
and start moving the white balance around in some of the tools that we'll talk about in a minute. And you'll start to see what wrong looks like. And then you might realize, okay, when that happens to me accidentally, here's how I could get it back to looking correct. So when you're saying about like the, the, with with raw and smart hdr if i'm taking photos with the purpose of editing them should i be turning smart hdr off or just shooting in raw or does it matter can i still just shoot normally and and then edit anyway but maybe i just won't get as much flexibility that's what i do yeah i shoot in smart hdr most of the time and, and use those photos uh, as they come out of the camera and this is part of what i like about the 10s upgrade or update, uh, downgrade, depending on you're looking at it. But the way that they treat these photos is that they look, they do look flatter. They have less punch. They have less contrast. And this is the reason a lot of people consider the Pixel 3 a better camera, which I absolutely don't. I don't think it's better in any way. Hmm. It adds more contrast by default. So what you get before you've adjusted anything is they just turned up the contrast. It was basically a choice by the, each manufacturer could have done this. Apple could have decided to make the photos look more contrasty out of the box, but they didn't. And what that allows me to do is choose how much contrast I add back. And in making that choice, I can keep some of the details that might otherwise get lost in the shadows or in the highlights. You can you can just kind of have a little more flexibility later, and you'll find tons of that flexibility just using Smart HDR. Okay. So I don't know if I derailed us completely, but did we get to Federico's question about the exposure? What was the question again? So does, when you shoot in RAW, do you not have to worry about exposure anymore? Or does it still have to be exposed correctly before you... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It, it, it needs to be correct. And especially on the phone. So what I was trying to get to is that the big cameras will give you more flexibility. Uh, f- phones, it, it doesn't change much shooting in raw you really need to still get the right exposure mm. okay okay so that explains why most of those pictures <laughs> sucked um because i thought it was just gonna be fine because everything could be fixed later i guess that's not how it works um okay it, it does feel like it's this possible like magical thing right it's just like oh it just takes all the data and then it's just data and then you just manipulate the data and then you can make anything out of the image it's it's like uh it's like base 64 right <laughs> oh, see this is it right when i found out that base 64 existed it ruined everything i thought i knew about it, how images were created so why not why could raw not just be the same i don't know so ones and zeros. I mean, it's kind of like that, just not as much. Don't say that to me, please, because you're just going to upset me. <laughs> okay, it's nothing like that. <laughs> Tyler, you mentioned like the the snow and shadow and that sort of stuff being uh, tricky when it comes to white balance. Are there some other like common things people should look for, like really easy things to to avoid as once you're kind of in tune with them? Yeah, another one is indoors. Uh, the normal lights that you have in a regular household are yellow. I mean, they're, they're tungsten lights. Tungsten is kind of the, the name of the color temperature, which it comes from what the what's generating the light in the bulb, but it comes to mean yellow lights. And that's what most indoor lighting is. So even on a sunny day when it, it looks the same outside and inside, it's hard to notice that difference with your eyes. When you take photos, it is actually much, much warmer. And you can really see it when lights get mixed. So if you take a photo where you're sitting inside by a window and half of your face is lit by the window and half is lit by a lamp nearby, you'll see that the indoor light is 
completely yellow. It's a huge difference. And uh, well, I mean, most people can't see it, but Mike, your Skype photo happens to be this. You're sitting by a window and I can see the split. Um, but it's a good experiment. Just try to find a place that is lit by two different sources. Take a photo of yourself and see how they're different. It's like an old avatar I had, but yeah, I was standing next to a window. That's ruined forever. <laughs> but it's well, not I don't necessarily use it anymore. I just have an update. My Skype photo, so we're all good. It's not a bad thing. It's something that you you will see it in Hollywood. I mean, it because it'll give a more natural look in real films. They still do that because it's what reality looks like. It's just about being aware that it's happening and knowing to work with it in the right ways. So we're going to take one more break and tell you about our final sponsor this week. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, and you can get it with a unique domain name, use award-winning templates, and more. So think about your project list for 2019. Some things on there may include uh, creating an online store, or building out a portfolio to show off your work. Or maybe you want to become a blogger like Federico and write about things you're passionate about. Where Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. And there's nothing to install. There's no patches to worry about. No upgrades are needed. You don't have to become a, some sort of server admin to do what you want to do because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Their tools allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've used Squarespace in the past for several different projects. A recent one was building uh, basically a simple information site for a local nonprofit. They didn't have a big budget. Squarespace made it really easy because all those templates meant I didn't have to do any design work. So it could focus on their content. And the best part now is if they have a change or they need to add a page or change some copy, they can log in and do that because the Squarespace editor makes it really easy to do. They don't have to be afraid of uh, breaking their site. Squarespace just lets them deal with the content and let the other stuff just sort of go by the wayside. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com connected. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com CONNECTED and the code CONNECTED to get 10% off your first purchase. I'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, Tyler, let's talk about apps for editing. I mean, I think... I'm considering where I want to be sharing my images like, and also just my general computing preferences. I care way more about iOS apps. I'm sure that there are there are other apps that you would recommend. But which uh, what are the ones that you would look at? I would say I've I've been playing around with Darkroom a little bit. I had uh, Visco, VSCO. I don't know which one you're supposed to say that. Um, but Darkroom is one that I'm like, I find it really cool and lets me do some cool stuff but i'm interested to see if i've maybe made the right decision or not i don't know i think you're pretty safe going with either of those two darkroom's really picked up in popularity lately it's a bit more i don't think it's a newcomer i think it's been it's been around for quite a while but it wasn't up to par with fisco at first and by the way you can say i, I switch back and forth um okay but uh, vsco was the original i don't know if they're the first but they really came up with the idea of how good digital photos could look. Like, they started really making it look like film. For a long time, if you'd buy presets, they would 
they would just look very fake. I mean, the art, the things that you would do to digital photos was really artificially boost things. And it was kind of just playing with sliders. And they went back and took a look at film and were aiming to really emulate it. So I kind of stick with them because they were the best first. I think at this point, Darkroom's pretty much caught up. The other one I put on the list for you guys to look at is Lightroom, which um, I, I'm not always clear about what exactly comes with it for free. Uh, I think you, to really dive into it, you are probably paying the subscription fee. And then it does become the ultimate power tool, but we'll we'll try to talk about it the least because I don't I don't want everybody to be putting out ten bucks a month just to experiment. All of these apps though are subscriptions, aren't they, Federico? Um I know Visco is. It has a subscription. Is Visco subscription? Yeah, it is now. Really? So it's completely optional to do the subscription. Basically you'll get all of the filters, all of the presets if you pay for the subscription. So I do that because right, okay. I like to have it. And there's a few other advanced features, like I think uh, only in the subscription can you get the video editing, which, by the way, is the best way to get beautiful colors in your videos is through Visco. But Oh, I didn't even know it did video. Yeah, I love it. That, so there, you, actually, that's part of my Instagram stories is when you see really nice colors, it's because I ran it through Visco. But you Ooh. can also just buy the packs and... The app is free, so you can do all of the adjustments. A lot of what we're going to talk about you can do for free. And it comes with a few filters that are, are pretty nice. I really think it's worth just getting one or two. Uh, and I, I, I want to recommend them so everybody doesn't have to go buying everything and to find out the, the packs that I like in Visco. And I, I don't know in Darkroom. I haven't spent as much time in okay. it. But the A, uh, I think it's called like A Collection, C, and LV. Those are the three uh, this that is what, I go so to this most. Is, so I like Darkroom. One of the reasons I like Darkroom more is the packs are labeled with real names. Mm. Right? Right. So it's more memorable. The yes, they're called like Darkroom, Instant, Duotone, Landscapes, Portraits, and Black and White, and then they just have letters to them. But the 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 Visco ones, they also have the lettering system like Darkroom does, but it seems to be like way harder for me to have any idea as to how I'm supposed to be using them? Right. Well, one thing I'd recommend is not to go back to square one every time. I I use the same three or four filters for everything. I very rarely go back in and try to find new good ones. And for you, do you edit the filters? Uh, or do you just leave them as they are? I I edit the photo first. Okay, so maybe let's let's start with the actual editing thing. I'll, I'll try to go through it in a okay. little bit of a pro- progressive what you'd actually do when you're editing. Um, th- the first thing is that I think it's really helpful to have two ways to think about what you're doing to the photo. Um, that uh, when films are color corrected, they are actually broken out in these two steps. That's how f- movie software looks at it. The first step is correcting it and getting basically an accurate image that looks right and, and real and matches the other photos that you have, that the skin looks healthy and that uh, you know whites aren't blue. Um, so the first stage is just going through it and finding that look, and then the next is adding a filter, giving it a look, making it you know look like vintage or whatever you want to do. But um, let's let's start with just getting your photo looking right, uh, which this this is the moment where I, my description skills suddenly uh, are, are very important. But uh, a lot of that is having those reference photos available. So if you've got a let's say a, a photo of a person, a portrait, um, it's 
very helpful to dig around, find a few other images that you really like on Instagram that are somewhat similar. Meaning if it was taken indoors, these photos were taken indoors or outdoors or whatever. That the, the lighting, the subject is a little bit close to what you're aiming for. Then first, you'd start with the exposure. Um, again, this is just the overall brightness of the image. And it's also a good chance to say why I'm not recommending the Photos app and why I think if you're using Photos.app right now to edit your images, you should run away. Uh, same with Preview or any of the Apple-based image editing apps. Um, if you go into Photos or any of the apps that we recommend, and in all of them, just take a dark image and turn up the exposure, you're going to see it go a little crazy inside of Photos. It, it, it tries to do far too much and will create this really dramatic HDR image. Or if you go in and uh, like, so I think they call it the light slider. And then if you actually go in inside of that, you can drill down and find different sliders. And if you move the exposure slider within that, uh, then you'll find that the highlights get what you'd call clipped, um, meaning that they start to become like digital white. And this is part of that problem in that photo that um, Federico, you were saying you liked the old photo more. The whites in that are, are burnt out meaning there's just no data left. They're not white because they are white. They're white because the camera couldn't find anything there. Um, and that is a giveaway of, of digital. So that was a lot of what we were aiming for when film cameras were much better than digital. We were trying to save those highlights to still have some information in them so it doesn't give away the format of the photo. And so you're, you're always trying to avoid that clip. And photos can go there on its own, which I... I don't know how they let that happen. All these other apps are much more smooth as you raise the exposure. The photo still looks kind of, you know, healthy. It still looks right as you make it brighter or darker. How, how did I do at that part? Does that make sense so far? Are you visualizing something that uh, is a little coherent, I hope? I, th I think so, yeah. I think I'm probably going to end up listening to this episode about three times. But <laughs> so far, I think we're doing it. I think it's it's making sense. Well, everyone that's not driving should be following along and try, <laughs> trying to play with some of these sliders in the app themselves. That's true. I should actually be doing that. I haven't done that myself. Sorry, I'm opening, I'm opening an app now. Yeah, any of them. Um, and again, you, uh, you can take my word for it. Just don't use the Photos app. It's not great for colors. Uh, the one thing it does find is, is cropping and straightening. If that's all you're doing, you, you, I do that in the Photos app. It does the same job as anything else. Um, the only thing is if you have, mm, I was going to talk about perspective. Let's leave that. It doesn't do perspective. The other apps do, but uh, you, you may not want to deal with that right now. Um, next, you're going to deal with white balance. This is the other cornerstone of an image looking correct. And again, you're going to have to pull out your reference photos and just try to get the, first of all, the skin. That is the priority in any photo with a person in it, is that the, the person's skin looks right. And it's hard to say what that is, um, but it actually is in the same color range, the same tonal range, regardless of how bright or dark their skin is. So if you are editing video, there's actually a little line in your color monitor. Like when you're doing video, you can it shows you much more information about this. And you see this little line cutting through the orange that says, this is where all skin should be. No matter how dark or bright your skin is, it should hit the same level of warmth. And trying to get a sense of what that kind of... Um, you know, creamy uh, oranginess is, is really helpful. And all you can do is look at other photos for that. So pull up a bunch of photos of people that look kind of like you 
and move the white balance back and forth until <laughs> it, it looks like you. Does, it, does that make a bit of sense? Mm-hmm. And is that the same as temperature? Yes. Like so. Exactly. Okay, so that's white balance. All right. Temperature okay. is the the measurement of white balance. So, um, yeah. What, yeah. The temperature is that you know cooler is bluer and warmer is uh, redder or oranger. And of course, this is only uh, what well, is this only useful for you if you have white skin? No, no, no. Is that this, a stupid question? No, it's the exact same. You go through the exact same step no matter what your skin is. And okay. if you okay. adjust it for the, the white balance, you're going to find the same thing for white skin or dark skin. Uh, even if both people are in the same photo, you could adjust for either person and they're both probably going to mm. look about right. Um, the okay. main difference will be uh, the actual like brightness or contrast. That has more of an effect on the skin tone. Because what you're affecting is the effect that those light sources have had on the color of the skin. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and even, Which it might be why maybe some people call it temperature as opposed to white balance, maybe? Well, it's, it's, it's like not a, an instead of. It's a. It's that like white balance is the, the, the bigger circle and inside of that is temperature. And there's another one called tint. Okay. Um, you'll see both oh, of those yeah. things showing up. Uh, I am. Yeah. Temperatures. In dark, dark room has them both like, yeah. listed under each other. It's safer to only play with temperature at first, which is the range between yellow and blue. Um, there are other mm-hmm. colors in an image. And so that'll be going between magenta and green. Um, and you, you can play with that to see what it does. You usually don't move that one as far. The temperature will go very far from left to right, depending on the image. The tint usually won't as much. The best example is, is that fluorescent lights are very green. So if you shoot under cheap fluorescence, you'll have to move that towards magenta, which is removing green from the image. But um, it's not as common of a problem, so maybe don't worry about it yet. I will say I'm playing around with this with an image that I took in a, a restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and it's surprising how much of a difference that actually makes. Yeah, if this is all you do, if you just open up every photo, and often, um, often it's boosting exposure a little bit, especially in one of these good apps that does it right, it, it can just like give some life back to the photo. It can just make it feel more present and more in your face in a, in a good way. Um, just bringing it up a little bit, uh, is, I'd say is a little more common. And then making sure that yeah, the other white balance is, is right. And it, it goes really far, even if you don't add any filter after. So what is the difference between, um, I'm going to get this wrong, um, l- luminance and exposure. Those are two different things, right? Yeah. But because I, I see lumina- luminance in, in both darkroom and lightroom, but I have no idea what it means. Luminance is a, a less used word. I mean, it refers to the overall brightness of the image, but um, exposure is the most common term. Like, exposure is the default term for photography okay. brightness. So you, you'll find it more often. And something to think about with exposure as well is that Oh my God, how hard. <laughs> I don't know when I'm trying to like stay on the edge without getting too complicated. Um, exposure will usually bring up the midtones of the photo. So, you know, something in your photo is usually pure black. Something's usually pure white, often. Um, everything in the middle, you're going to call midtones. And exposure is playing with that area and usually leaving the brightest and darkest parts more or less alone. Um, if you moved up the brightest and darkest or moved them down, that can start to do a bit more damage. And that's part of what the Photos app is doing. Part of why Visco, Lightroom, Darkroom all look good is they're they're doing a very smart way of adjusting the 
central tones inside of your image. Did I go too far? <laughs> okay. No, no. Okay. Um, so uh, most of the time, um, I see like this, the people do this all the time. Like they want to make sure that a photo uh, sort of has that kind of punch that sort of like that it pops on the screen. And so they turn on the, they, they turn up the saturation all the way to the, to the, to, to yeah. the right of the slider. And, but that makes the image look, look sort of fake and like the, the, the colors are like awful. Um, so what's the best way? Because, but uh, the, my problem is that I sort of understand why people do that because you see these very bright, very intense colors and they're sort of pleasing, right? That the, everybody likes pretty colors. Um, well, this is what happened with MKBHD's test, right? It was like the most saturated foam, which was the Huawei, and that was why it ended up getting the the highest votes. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Best Buy TV effect. Yeah. At, at what point, like, where do you draw the line between an artistic choice, so to speak, like a personal preference, and a photographic mistake? <laughs> is there is there yeah, even a I mean, line? There, there is no real line. I draw my own lines, and, and you probably draw yours based on your description of the oversaturated images. You don't like the way they look. Most people don't. So that again, that's why it's so helpful to have all these references, all these times that you've seen photos and you're like, that feels about right. It's a little more punchy than my images, but not so much so that it's distracting. You don't really think about it. So I would suggest the best place to start is with the presets inside of these apps. Um, some, some favorites that I like. So there's also desaturated looks that look really nice. So a really popular one that I've used often is A6 inside of VSEO. And that actually will suck out some of the saturation from your photo. But it looks very clean and um, it, it, it feels kind of commercial. Like it could be, it would put it in a magazine really quickly. Then there's others that are inherently more saturated. So one of those that I like is C7. And that one is going to feel very punchy. A lot of my stuff I've posted lately is like that. But it's actually only bringing the saturation up a little bit and, in, importantly, in certain colors. So these presets aren't just adjusting one thing. When you do saturation, everything gets more saturated, and it kind of creates this blinding effect. A lot of the time, what good presets, and I should also say, going back to film, like film had it figured out when we were in the 90s, you know, Kodak and Fuji had spent 100 years very carefully figuring out color science and what makes an image look good. And when digital came around, it kind of all got lost for a decade. There was a long time where all digital photos felt really clinical and gave up on what we had gained in all that time in film. And this is the reason that we talk about film emulation a lot. It's not to get a vintage look. This, we were a little confused when Instagram started that the, the whole point was to make them look faded or, or old or fake old. But the good thing about film is that it had a really great way of dealing with colors. And we've been moving back towards that. And that's why there are a lot more beautiful photos on Instagram. We kind of figured out like, oh, this is why film looks so good. If we make these same kinds of adjustments to our digital photos, it can look amazing without going over the top. I think that's only improved as this as the tools have gotten better, right? Like, in, say, like the iPhone 4 days, which in its day was a good camera, better than what came before it, but we had more limited options, right? The software wasn't shooting in RAW if we wanted it to. The, it was just gathering less information, less light. But it seems like as the 
hardware and software has gotten better, it enables us in a way to go back to what we had before, yeah, exactly. which is sort of and an interesting path. What's really interesting about it, too, is that it's not all that there was these big technology jumps. A lot of it was taste as well, that um, the, you could have edited those photos. In a, if you go back and take your iPhone 4 photos and use modern apps, they'll still look much better than they did at the time. And a lot of it is that we kind of collectively all figured out like, oh, this is what looks good. This is why we like film photos. It's not because they're covered in dust and the shadows are, are raised a lot to make it look faded. It's because the, you know, the colors have these qualities that I can't get into now. But um, again, this, so this comes down to, you got to start playing with them. I mean, in both apps, you can experiment with filters quite a bit to get a sense of what they're doing. The things to look for, this is important. You can, you can choose any preset that you want. The things to look for that will make a preset good or bad is for one, please don't choose one that changes the color of the highlights. This is a really common effect, especially <clears throat> sorry, if you want to have like a Polaroid look, like a, a real vintage look, it'll start to turn the highlights, the white parts of the image, either yellow or green or what, I mean, any kind of color. If you can keep your highlights and usually your shadows as well, neutral, like somewhat close to what they originally look like, that's a really good sign that this preset is going to last and you're not going to hate the photo in five years from now. It's a lot of stuff to think about. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take notes. Once you get it, once you get the hang of it, you can kind of just do the same thing every time. For me, I just go through the same three or four steps every time I'm editing an image, and I don't usually think all that hard about it, unless it's for a client and it's really, really important. Then I, you know, then I might spend an hour on a photo. But, you know, social photos, I just, I'm spending, you know, five, 10 minutes doing the same few steps every single time. Yeah, it's like you set it once and then you know the, the what you're looking for each time. So that ends up being what you go for, right? Yeah. I mean, when you guys set up your podcasting recording situations, you know, you probably spent a long time researching your mics and your preamps and your, you know, figuring out how to make it sound good. And now it just sounds great and you turn it on every day and you never think about it again and it's easy. Um, it's just about getting to that point. Okay. I mean, there's definitely some stuff in there. I need to spend more time playing with the apps. Like, So Darkroom is the app that makes the most sense to me from a design perspective. But like, even in playing around now, it's doing some stuff now which which I don't understand. So like, if I change the, the white balance or whatever, if I then apply a filter, it resets what I changed. And Visco oh. doesn't do that. Yeah, actually, I didn't know Darkroom does that. I use, I use Darkroom quite a bit. I don't really use Darkroom. <laughs> I just know that other people like it. Yeah, it's a, it, it, Visco is really confusing to me in a lot of places. Like the the UI is. Yeah, they had a big they had a big change a couple of years ago, and I think, or at least for me, it I still like the the filters and the tools it gives you, but the UI and and it's like oh we're also a social media network, and we also like I found it a little off putting in places. They've never been shy about doing crazy design things. Like they'll upend the whole app repeatedly and that that can definitely be challenging especially if you've already learned it but, but like before we drop off i want to make sure that i just mentioned some others i mean i'm sure there's some people listening that are going to be people will be mentioning snapseed to you very popular app um i don't find it has a lot of presets that are useful and it has a lot of terrible presets that will ruin your photos so i think you have to be a little more careful in it um so i i don't personally recommend snapseed as your primary editing app Another really useful one is uh, Touch Retouch, 
which is good for removing stuff in photos if you want to clone things out. Uh, another one that is really simple to use, like it's one-touch editing, is Filmborn, just film emulation. And another competitor to Darkroom and Visco is Afterlight as well. Um, can you remind me again, what were the the Visco packs that you recommend? That's A, C, and LV. LV. Yeah, okay. it was the Le- Levi's collaboration. Oh, and A and C are <laughs> yeah, separate. The- a, comma, C, comma, LV. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I think I made the mistake of just buying all of them that's not a mistake i mean the thing is <laughs> there's so many if you if you have good presets it's going to make a bigger difference I, this was a huge takeaway from the mkbhd blind tests as well if people just edited their photos after it would make a way bigger difference than the actual cameras would like that's you could win any camera shootout if you just edited the photo that you want to win it would always be able to win because that's what people really like is just that little bit of extra polish and refinement that doesn't come out of most cameras by default or any cameras by default. Is there, is there anything else that we should be thinking of? Well, you, you asked about stories, which is a little yes. unrelated, but I don't want you to leave without having my, my story tips. Um, I do, so, and I, I did do a whole YouTube video about this. So if I'm leaving anything out in this quick description, it's worth watching that because I, I go through in a bit of detail how to how I create them. So uh, if you haven't seen my stories, they are vlog style. So it's usually, it's moving through a bunch of different clips like a YouTube vlog, but I'm shooting it on my phone and I'm usually shooting and editing in almost real time, which is really important about stories for me. I don't want stories to take a long time. They're supposed to be quick. They're supposed to be of the moment of what's happening right now. And I don't want to be bogged down in a bunch of editing, but I also want them to feel kind of professional and, you know, actually entertain people for a few minutes. So the way that I do that is using an app called Spark Camera is the primary one. There's a few apps called Spark, so make sure you're getting the right one, Spark Camera. And it... Not the email application, just to be clear. Also not the Adobe design application. Uh, And there's like three or four more. Uh, But it is, it's a pretty old app. It actually predates a lot of those. And as far as I know, it was the first app to have the swipe left and right to add a filter over it. They actually invented that and it's kind of been forgotten. But um, it looks a bit like Snapchat in that you just press and hold anywhere on the screen to start recording. Uh, You can double tap to flip the camera backwards to yourself. And and that's kind of it. So you press and hold, record for a few seconds, look at something else, press and hold for a few seconds. And after a while, you've kind of built up a little video, a little vlog type video. Hit export, and when you upload it to Instagram, now Instagram has a feature where it'll cut up videos that are up to 60 seconds long into 15-second clips. So as people watch through your stories, you don't have to worry about each clip being a full 15 seconds or whatever. You can kind of just do these little moments that piece together a more complete story. And that's how I usually do Instagram stories. that's That's a good tip. Okay. So Spark camera. All right. And if you want one more, if you are just into posting photos and adding a little design to them, I would recommend, oh wait, I forgot what it's called. Oh, I'd recommend Unfold, which is, it is made exactly for creating beautifully designed stories. That's it. Oh, it's just like one of the ones that does all the frames and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and text and layouts and stuff. Oh, I've seen these everywhere. Yep. Now I'm looking at like. Oh, so that's how people make them. (laughs) That's the secret. There's an app for it. 
Are you gonna get thrown out of the Instagram? Like you're like you know that <laughs> secret you know society. The, you know yeah no you know the the that show like the magician secrets revealed or whatever. <laughs> You're doing Maybe. that, but for Instagram, that might happen. I, I just dropped all the all the knowledge in one quick segment. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully, some of that made sense. Okay, I think it did. Unfold Spark camera by. I'm just going through. Just buying them all. Of course, okay. we'll have links in our show notes for all of these. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Can you give a rundown? Like, what are the best places for people to go to to find what you're up to? I mean, if you just search for my name in Google, S T A L M A N, you're you're going to find all my stuff. But uh, my favorite thing to do is my podcast, which is StallmanPodcast.com, where you guys have been. Both uh, Mike and Stephen have been there, and Federico. I'd love mm-hmm. to have you someday. Sure, thank you. Okay, <laughs> I'd love to. Just synchronize your calendars right now. Just do it <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> All right, this <laughs> makes for great radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Take care. So I think that about does it for this week. I, f- I feel like I know a lot more. What about you guys? Do you feel ready to go conquer Instagram? My brain feels more full, mm-hmm. is what I'll say. <laughs> is that a good thing? <laughs> Probably. Well, if you want to check out all the apps we talked about with Tyler or you're really interested in iPod Touch Rumors, all those links are on the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 226. While you're there, you can get in touch with us via email or you can do so on Twitter. Federico is there as Vitici and V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And of course, he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net. You can find Mike on Twitter as I-M-Y-K-E, and Mike hosts a bunch of shows. You can find them at Relay.fm slash shows. You can follow me over there as ISMH, and you can find my writing at 512pixels.net. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week, PDF Pen from Smile, Away, and Squarespace. And until next week, guys, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.